and chances are the item that they grabbed is going to be under some kind of copyright license and if found out they could uh, create a copyright legal issue which could cost up to uh, $250,000. The Making Business Effortless podcast mission is to support successful entrepreneurs by sharing the stories of high-performing service-based business owners while sharing tips and helpful resources so you can buy back time and make more wealth in your business and in your life. I am on with Kyle Perkins today, a big frog of Raleigh, North Carolina. So to make it easier on everyone involved, we're going to let Kyle give us a short preview of what he offers. But today's subject is around copyright, how color works with your graphics, as well as screen printing, which is Kyle Perkins' uh, zone of genius, really. But he does know an extensive amount around color and copyright. So it'd be useful for both digital, whether you want to print it or digitally, whatever you want to do with your content, with your branding, Kyle is your guy. Thank you, Kyle, for coming. Thank you, Leah. A pleasure to be here. Okay. So tell me a little bit about Big Frog and what it offers people. Sure. So Big Frog itself has been around for about 15 years. My store has been around for about five. We're located in the North Raleigh area. We actually have a customer experience center where customers can come in and touch, treat, touch, feel, and try on different types and sizes of garments. And on top of that, we also offer many different decorating services, including direct-to-garment printing, embroidery, screen print, and many others to get exactly what you want to see and what you want to wear. Quantities start as low as one to as many as you need. So we help out anyone from clubs, organizations, to churches, to schools, to businesses, to the one-off family gift for the birthday or anything else. So just here to help out and uh, educate others on making their job easier to make my job easier. And that's why I'm here. Yeah, I met Kyle at a networking event and he did an amazing presentation that was incredibly informative. So in case you're wondering, why are we talking to Kyle today? I'm, not, I'm a digital person. If you're a digital person, this still applies to you because what he had to say about how color works and the copyright was incredibly important for business owners. So I wanna start off with, we'll hit the copyright at the end, but let's start off, you mentioned something about how color works on paper versus t-shirts versus digitally, which I found was pretty interesting that a lot of people probably aren't aware of along with the type of files in order to get those really clear, crisp images that we're looking for. Mm -hmm. So in general, there are at least three different uh, types of printing methods when it comes to actually decorating items. And I'm not just talking t-shirts, but, but paper and even digital assets such as websites. The three primary color spectrums would be the RGB or the uh, red, green, blue spectrum. That usually consists of three to six alphanumeric codes, uh, which are called hex codes. Mm -hmm. or a three set of numbers from zero to 255. And basically you combine all of those to make the color white. And that digitally allows colors to show up on a screen because the default color is black and it needs extra power, extra color, extra combinations to show that as white. So anything you see white on the TV or white on a digital billboard or white on your cell phone combines all those colors together to get white. That includes like the, the background that you're talking about. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if you have it set to night mode versus just regular, that includes that as well. It's actually sitting on a black background is what you're saying. Yes. By default. Yes. Cool. Okay, cool. 
Yeah. So like when you turn your phone off and it, it goes black, that basically means that it doesn't have power to the display. And that is the default mode. So it needs extra mode and extra color to show the color white, no matter what you're using. Okay. Okay. So night mode is, is that still using color or are they taking some of that out of there to go into night mode? Or do you know anything about that kind of technology? So yes and yes, they're still using okay. color, but night mode uses a special filter to actually decrease the amount of colors being shown. So it, it wouldn't be as bright of a white or bright of a red or anything it's else because white. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. Or it's actually yeah, okay. That's that's interesting. Yeah. And then I'm I remember during your presentation, not just digitally, what was interesting is so you're saying that it has to make white digitally, but then you said something about on paper, which paper's usually yes. white, right? So <laughs> is there a difference in the way the color works on paper? Yeah. So as far as printing materials, such as paper, business cards, uh, car wraps, or anything else that requires the printing on a physical material, including printing garments, they use a process called CMYK. And that stands for cyan, magenta, yellow, and the K stands for black. If anyone's bought any inkjet uh, cartridges in the past 30 years, that's pretty much the same process that's used. Because the default color for any printing material is white and it comes out white it's made white and you can just add color to it that's perfectly fine however if you combine all the colors together including the color black you will get the color black and my painting friends know exactly what i'm talking about you mix any kind of paint together and you just get a, a, a muddy brown eventually you get black and the same process happens you combine a certain percentage of the cyan a certain percentage of the magenta a certain percentage of the yellow using a black as a barrier or base, and you have a nice crisp image that shows up. And again, that works for anything printed. So again, paper, business cards, letterheads, car wraps, printed billboards, etc. And most people don't understand that if you're looking at an image digitally, such as on your phone or on your desktop, the colors may not be the exact same as the printed material because you're converting from one system to another. Sometimes they perfectly line up. A lot of times they don't, but it's like trying to take one language, let's just say Japanese, as I have some experience in that, and trying to find a, tran a perfect translation to English. 99% yeah. of okay. the time, there's not a perfect translation, but there are some pretty darn close uh, mm -hmm. comparisons. And that's yeah. what happens when you uh, convert RGB to CMYK or vice versa. Now, there is one more type of uh, color uh, systems or sequences that a lot of people know about, and they usually work with this in the painting industry, is called the PMS or the Pantone Matching System. Now, that is technically a registered uh, system by the Pantone company. And usually, if you go into, say, any hardware supply store or any paint supply store and you ask for a Pantone color, they can combine certain colors and make that matching Pantone which is great if you have access to the Pantones and the physical paints. But if you're trying to print in CMYK, it's next to impossible to have an exact match of it, of the CMYK color to the Pantone that you're trying to match. Again, so like if you have a possible. paint sample, for example, it's mm -hmm. on white, is that is that the same? Sometimes it doesn't match completely when you match it up with the paint that they actually made for that color. Is that what you're talking about? It can be a little off? It can, as far as their internal system, but it can also be off when it, uh, when you're trying to convert from one system to another. Mm -hmm. So 
A lot of people come in and say, hey, my company color is, I'm just going to throw a number out here, PMS 120. And we can do our best to match up that color, but it's not going to be exactly the same shade. Maybe off by hue or two or shade or two. But if you're trying to get that exact PMS color, unless you have, unless the person you're working with has a way to match that exact PMS color, it's not going to be exact. With and the language just, that it needs, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Okay. Right. And I actually just found out last week that the Pantone company that actually has the whole system registered, they do release a matching book of various uh, CMYK and RGB colors, but they update that every single year, whether Yay. out of pure stubbornness <laughs> or they're trying to make money. I don't know, but if, yeah. So <laughs> if someone for the past 10 years has been using the same RGB color for a certain Pantone, chances are that's been updated and that RGB color is no longer valid. <laughs> okay, so now that leads me to, because the bulk of my audience does use Canva and you mentioned mm -hmm. Canva in your presentation. Mm -hmm. Now this has to do with, Canva gives you the opportunity to use hex codes. And that's mm -hmm. why yes. I wanted to do this little preview about color because that's how Canva talks, it says hex mm -hmm. codes. And it also, because it's a digital product, but it does offer printing services and things like that, which mm -hmm. we went into that explanation. But I think the biggest thing with, with Canva is the files that you need to use if you want to translate, let's say, your logo to a shirt mm -hmm. or to a piece or to a card, like you said. Is there, are there certain files that do better if you're wanting to do take your digital stuff and put it on swag, so to speak? Is there a certain file that, that you tell people that, hey, it's better to do it this way versus that way? So yes, not specifically in the color aspect, but more of the file size and right. scalability. Uh, color is a whole different thing. And Canva's, mm -hmm. the developers behind Canva have done a very good job using a converting process for colors. But as far as file quality itself, my recommendation, especially using our own software, is to use a vector-based file. Now, most people have no idea what a vector-based file is. They just know a JPEG or a JPG, and that's pretty much what they've used for the past 30 years. And that's perfectly fine for some cases, but most cases, if you're taking a tiny, tiny JPEG image and you're trying to scale it up to put on a, say, a T-shirt or a billboard or the side of a truck or something, it's not going to look very good. So by default, I would recommend using what's called a vector file. And a vector file has all of the paths and the color uh, fills for that specific file in what's called a scalable environment, which means that you can take the same file, you can make it super tiny, and you can also make it super big, and it will magically, hmm? And it'll magically scale up and down without losing any quality. So you won't get any of those little blurry bits that most uh, scaling up features get. I mean, everyone loves CSI, but we're not in a CSI world. We can't just right, magically right. enhance everything. And AI is getting there, but it, it's not perfect. No. So if so, if you have the, the capability to use a vector file, such as an SVG or an EPS, that would help out graphic designers and most people that use those graphics in most scenarios. If you don't have access to one of those files, then my recommendation is to use either 
a very high quality PNG with a transparent background, or if possible, see if the logo can be put on a PDF so it can be extractable. Now, not all PDFs okay. have great quality. Most times when you're trying to export something in Canva or Photoshop or anything else, it has the ability to export to a PDF as a option, which mm -hmm. can work, may not, but usually does. And if for some reason, any of those are just not accessible or the HR department doesn't know what it is or your graphic designer has no idea what to work with, then by default, the like extreme fallback is the highest file size JPEG possible. It, it won't be able to do everything necessary to do the maximum scalability, but it'll at least allow most graphic designers to take a large image and scale it down as necessary. Maybe not okay. use it larger, but definitely use it smaller. Because yeah, exactly usually I noticed that too. When you try to blow up an image, it gets like blurry <laughs> and weird. Even when I've tried to put it on my website because mm -hmm. of the just, you know, whatever you're doing, it wants to blow it up. And then it's like, it looks awful. And, yes. and I've experienced, and that's what you're saying is it's better to go big so you can go small, but never small and go big in some cases, unless you're exactly, using yes. like a vector mm -hmm. file or something like that, that can translate it a little better to, to zoom in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So now we've got all that down. We've got our colors. We've got all that. Now we're going to get <laughs> into the copyright aspect because the reason why I wanted to talk about colors and, you know, printing and Canva and JPEG files and all of that is because we all know we're all on Canva <laughs> making things <laughs> mm -hmm. and you could get images from anybody and everybody under the sun. And I thought that this is, you know, while we're learning about color, while we're thinking about the file, you also need to be paying attention to these certain things about copyright. And they are things that I didn't even think about, but new, I'm always cautious when it comes to like say mm -hmm. Disney, because <laughs> mm -hmm. they will hunt you down. <laughs> To tell you to stop that but i did find it interesting what you had to say about which one was usable as a quote unquote disney character so if you can explain mm -hmm. that and maybe that will help a little bit for people to understand about copyright now we also have to do the disclaimer you are not a lawyer <laughs> mm -hmm. you're just basing this off of information that you know from your experience but please if you want to know if your stuff is copy written or you need to or you're following copyright guidelines please talk to somebody who has the legal background to to advise you okay mm -hmm. kyle <laughs> go ahead and tell us a little bit about disney and what to be aware of <laughs> thank you and to add to, to the, the legal disclaimer, there are specific copyright and trademark lawyers that specifically work in this field. So by all means, please reach out to them. A, a quick five to 10 minute question may or may not cost money, but at least have the answer versus don't have the answer. Because it could cost so, you money down the road. <laughs> a, a lot of money, yes. <laughs> okay. Um, so before i get into the whole disney aspect let me also talk about what copyright is as far as the graphic designer side of things and most people usually think that they can just go onto google find an image grab it and send it to the graphic designer and use it and 99 percent of cases that image that they grabbed is most likely copyrighted which means that somebody else actually has the rights to that image most people just can't go online and grab an image and say, oh, it's mine, I created it and have no idea where it came from or what the source files are or anything else. And chances are the item that they grabbed is going to be under some kind of copyright license. And if found out, they could uh, create a copyright legal issue, which could cost up to uh, $250,000 plus mm -hmm. if a lawyer decides to chase after you. 
-hmm. So to use Disney as a very good example, I love Disney. Disney's in a lot of great things, uh, but they are very, very, very strict about their copyright laws. Mm -hmm. Now, for example, a certain mouse entered the public domain market in the past 30-ish days, and a lot of people think that, oh, well, because the mouse entered the public domain, I can use it. Legally not. Most people think that because the Steamboat Willie version of the certain mouse entered the public domain that they can use any of the mouse. But in fact, only the Steamboat Willie version, the black and white with the the captain's hat, no gloves, and uh, solid color pants version did enter public domain back in the 1920-whatever day that came out. However, the colored version of Mickey, the actual standing up version with the red pants and the white gloves and the yellow shoes, that version still is legally trademarked and protected by Disney, and they will do anything they can to keep it that way. Mm -hmm. Well, he's a logo, pretty much. Yeah. And if anyone thinks that they can just go out there and grab a Mickey logo and put it on their their shirt or their business card or anything else and think they're going to get away with it, Disney will come after you. They have a lot of high-powered lawyers, and they will find out. And if you think that you're the one exception to the case and you're in a small town and no one will find you, they they have ways to find you. (laughs) (laughs) I know the schools avoid using uh, Disney. It seems like at all costs. I was in a very rural area, and they were like, we are not using Disney. They will come after Mm -hmm. you. And they had been gotten for just showing the movie. (laughs) You know, mm-hmm. and a lot of people say that's education. Well, mm. <laughs> Disney's kind of picky about how you do that too. So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. The actual uh, definition of that would be the fair use license, where you could use it for educational purposes. But again, that is, while a legal term, not a legal definition or a legal usage of items like that. And yes, Disney can find ways to get you for that, mm-hmm. and. Uh, again, there are many different versions of certain uh, images and logos and characters that Disney has, but that also doesn't mean that Disney owns the right to that specific character. To use a different one, uh, Winnie the Pooh recently entered the public domain, but Disney owns the yellow version with the red shirt. The actual character from the original stories that has no shirt, that version has entered the public domain. So anybody can use that as they want and be able to do anything with it. However, the moment you put a shirt on that bear, it's a copyright issue. Uh, However, (laughs) (laughs) uh, to use a more open example, the version of Snow White that everyone knows and loves that's been around for 50-ish years. The the character Snow White from the original story is in public domain. Anybody can do anything with that. In fact, uh, Once Upon a Time had a very good Snow White in the actual uh, TV series. But again, the Disney version with the dress and the blue and everything else, that version, again, is owned by Disney and they will come after you. But if you just just want to use Snow White and the ability to talk to animals and stuff and have all the dwarves 
that story, that those characters are in public domain. Just make sure not to use the Disney design version. So in other words, don't have Sleepy involved. That's why when we see some of these mm -hmm. movies, when they do it, you're like, well, we're Sleepy Dopey and all that. Well, because they know it's copywritten and they're just not going to go down that road with it. I think they even take care, careful. They're even careful with the villain as well. Mm -hmm. To an extent, yes. Yeah, yeah. They're, I mean, it may be overkill, but <laughs> we're not going to copy them at all. <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> if for some reason you do have the ability to use a, a copyrighted character, just, again, not a lawyer. So take legal advice with a sprinkle of salt. If you do have the ability to use it and someone decides that they're going to catch you, and it has happened, then most likely lawyers are going to come after you with what's called a cease and desist order. Basically a slap on the wrist saying, hey, we found out you're doing it, don't do it anymore. Please take that for all it's worth because if you decide to either ignore it or just not do anything with it or decide that and they don't really know what they're talking about, the next step is usually get a very hefty fine and most likely some kind of jail time. So I'm trying to make sure people can avoid that. Again, not a lawyer, but I have seen it many, many times. And sometimes lawyers just skip the whole cease and desist order and say, hey, we're going to sue you for X amount and there's nothing you can do about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just depends on the person that they're representing, honestly, about how, how mm -hmm. the course they want to take with that. So yeah. I do appreciate, do you have anything else that you would like to add that you feel like that the that the audience out there should know about printing services or you want to give a little bit about a little bit more about what you do and how to contact you? Yeah. So um, one of the topics that I did cover in my presentation was the online sources. And you said that Canva uh, is a great resource and I completely agree with you. Canva has a lot of great sources. And in fact, I use the them. Popular, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And and I can't say anything bad about Canva. They they definitely pour their heart and souls into this high quality service to do many, many things. In fact, they're pretty much my go to uh, online design platform away from my actual graphics software in the store. So they do a lot of things and I appreciate them. But if you're going to use Canva or any of the online services, make sure to go beyond just the free version. Canva free is definitely a, a very good resource, but Canva free only lets you do a certain amount of things. And if you think that you can design your whole logo on Canva and using the free version and download it and send it to people, it's not gonna give you the highest quality format or any of the different options necessary to take that to the next level. And if you use the paid version, there are just so many different options that you can choose from that a graphic designer can pull from and be able to use to their advantage versus just, oh, I have the free version. I have a 500 pixel image and that's the biggest I'm going to get because I don't want to pay them, uh, was it like 50 bucks a year or something it's, like that? It's, I mean, about, it's, it's about $100 a year, I think. It's not a lot, honestly, yeah, yeah. for what, for what mm -hmm. it's done for me. It's really mm -hmm. not a lot. Yeah, um, I mean, You get a here. lot more <laughs> access and a lot more capability when you pay the little extra fee. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if anyone wants to say, hey, you know, companies like Etsy or Redbubble have a lot of copyrighted items on their sites, they do. Not saying that they have a license to do so, but they also are provided their materials by a lot of these uh, at-home companies that really don't know anything about copyright. So let's just say you, you find something on Etsy that has a Bart Simpson on it. 
Well, chances are, as soon as Fox slash Disney slash Matt Groening finds out about it, they're going to sue that specific company, and that company shuts down and starts up tomorrow under a new name. Mm-hmm. That's technically their way of getting around it. However, I have a reputable business. I've been around for five years, and I want to keep it that way and and longer, so we just so so we don't get you know sued by any mm-hmm. big companies and shut down tomorrow. I want to make sure that what we do is actually quality, reputable services, not just we're going to get shut down and start tomorrow again. So while they do have a lot of those copyright loopholes, the parent company doesn't uh, have any of the rights to those items. Technically, when you do sign up and sell items on those sites, they do have terms of service saying they cannot be held liable for what you put on their site. So technically a legal loophole, technically not very good one, but that's how they survive. Yeah. 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 Just because you see it out there doesn't mean it's okay. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, I think we, we talk a lot about regulating the online space. Well, guess what? There's regulations. (laughs) (laughs) Here's one of them, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, one of many, (laughs) one of many. (laughs) So uh, that's what this podcast is about is, is creating that knowledge so that people are doing business ethically. And that's why I have people like Kyle Perkins on here because he's trying to conduct his business ethically and provide knowledge to the people out there. So I thank you so much, Kyle. If you want to learn more about Kyle, the information is down in the show notes. If you'd like to connect with them, you do have a website for them to order as well. Do you do shipping? Yes, we do. Okay. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much, Kyle. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join the Effortlessly Book community on Facebook for more free resources and support. Simply check out the show notes Please share this podcast with other online service providers in your circle. And by all means, leave a comment and let me know your biggest takeaway along with other topics you would like me to cover so you can continue to make business effortless.